Well, good morning again, Redeemer. Good morning. I'm going to make a little statement now about this sermon so that I don't make it in the midst of the sermon because you never want to draw attention to yourself while you're doing it. But uh, it's about tithing is the sermon. And, and what, what uh, I've only gone to two churches uh, since I became a Christian, and one did not have a healthy way of talking about tithing. Tithing always seems a little, I don't know. Uh, so we had an elders meeting a few months ago, and what we discussed was the fact that, you know, a lot of churches, you know, err on, go into one ditch of, like, they can't stop talking about tithing. Uh, we, we, I think, have driven the car in the other ditch, which is we never talk about it. <laughs> uh, in fact, the last tithing sermon was May of two, 2014. Uh, so that, that's maybe too long ago. Um, and what, what's really funny, I've, I found, is that I was eager to do, I did that sermon, I was very eager to do that sermon. I was not the pastor at the time. <laughs> but the pastor went to uh, Vegas because he was playing in a hockey tournament. So when the pastor was in Vegas, I was here doing a tithing sermon, which is funny all by itself. But I was like, I got this, brother. I can go in there. I can talk about tithing. And then when it came time for me to talk about tithing, I didn't want to do it. Because now it seems a little self-serving, given the fact that my, my family lives off of tithes. So that and um, all that being said, this is one of those times where I have to admit, you know, we're always, I'm always bold talking about like the whole counsel of God, the whole counsel of God. Um, but there are actually subjects that I don't want to talk about, just like there are subjects you don't want to hear about. Um, and what the elders put to me was like, you get in there, son, and you, you make it happen. You do it. <laughs> right? This is your job. You get in there and you say what needs to be said. So I just want to put that out there now. Um, uh, you know, it just feels very self-serving. So I, I just want to apologize for how that may come across at the first. Secondly, I'm doing what I'm told. So, <laughs> what's that? Well, yeah, they're not here. Yeah, is that not, is that nice? They're in Vegas. No. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. So in a preliminary um, move for this, I actually sent out a newsletter last week, and what it, what it had in there was the argument for why we tithe, because I'm just assuming all along here uh, that we do, that we're commanded to. Now, I understand that there are various views of the law and how it works. Not everyone in the New Testament church thinks that tithing is still a command. I, I just assume it is. If you have more questions about that, the three uses of the law, how, we've, you know, how Jesus fulfilled the law of Moses, how we didn't. Um, some laws precede the law of Moses. All of that, I will gladly talk to anyone who wants to come talk to me about it. So I just want to put that out there. I'm just assuming this whole time it's a command that Jesus gave us. So with all of that being said, pray for me. But let's pray together now. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you, Lord, um, for the ministry of Malachi and all that uh, he endured as your servant and the, and the tough words that he had for Israel. I pray that as we consider those this morning, that you would um, make them by your spirit effectual in our own lives, that you would give us the hard truth, that you would let us look into the mirror of the word and let us see ourselves. Let us look into the Old Testament and see the Lord Christ, and that we would be more and more like him, Lord, that we would die to ourselves and live for nothing but him. We thank you and we praise you in the name of your son, and amen. So the text is Malachi chapter 3. Uh, verses 6 through 12. I'm hoping that most people don't have a super long memory. This isn't going to be that different from the one I preached in May of 2014, uh, but it's going to be a little different. So I'm going to read the verses, starting in verse 6. This is what the word of the Lord says. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore, you, children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes, have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. 
But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. I will rebuke the devourer for you, so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil, and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Then all nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. Why do we tithe? That's the first question I want to ask. Why? Is it, is it simply because we are commanded to do so? I would argue that is never why we do anything. We should never do anything simply because we're commanded to. There's more to it. it you know, it, when it really comes down to it, you ought to do it simply because you're told. But what I find, even with, you know, with my own children, that kind of thing never works. <laughs> do it because I said so. Right? How, how, do you, how did you like hearing that when you were a child? Children, how do you like hearing that now? And so that is a very bad argument, uh, a, a bad argument that I've heard before. Well, just do it because you're told. I, I always find that what you have to do is deal with the affections of the heart. Uh, you have to have a new affection. It's not just simply about obedience. It, it's about what you love and don't love. It's about what you delight in and don't delight in. Because tithing isn't about simply duty. It's also about blessing. It's about promise. It's about relationship. Some people don't tithe when they know they should, sometimes out of rank unbelief and disobedience, but also out of apathetic carelessness towards personal holiness. Some people just don't tithe because they're just careless. Some people don't do it because they don't think they ought to. Some people don't do it because they don't think they have enough. A healthy church member realizes how vital tithing actually is and how it is connected to obedience and blessing not only for themselves, but for the whole people of God, the whole church, the whole community. Tithing, like everything else that we do, is never about this one family doing the tithing, the one person doing the tithing. It's always about the community. It's always about the community. God's commands are about blessing and fruit and promise. Now, just to cover it, the word tithe comes from an old English word that means a tenth. The idea comes best, it's best articulated in the Old Testament. And what their practice was is they would, all the newborn lambs would come by, they would have them all walk by, and then every tenth one they would count out and give it to the Lord. And this is where the idea came from when they translated the Bible into, into English. What you're doing is tithing your increase. You're tithing what God has increased. Not tithing from your net worth. This is very important. God does not want 10% of your net worth every year. Uh, that's not what tithing is. It's our... Uh, it, it's your income. It's, it's based on your gain. You don't tithe out of your net worth, but the increase of your net worth. To get a tenth, you need to know the total of your increase. This is one of the things that's a blessing about it. When you sit down to figure out how much you're going to tithe, what God is giving you an opportunity to see how much he's given you. He says, yeah, add it up. Do it. Sit down, get a calculator out, and figure out how much you, I've increased what you had before. And when you do that, what do you think the effect on your heart is going to be when you get to see everything that the Lord has given you that you did not have before? Now, when you, when, you re, when you comprehend how much he's given you, he doesn't want all of it, even though all of it is his. <laughs> we don't serve that kind of God, right? Every, every person who's tithing is not like the rich young ruler where he says, hey, look at everything I've given you. Now, if you really love me, give it all to me. That's, that's not how it works. 
says, add it up so you can, you can see what I've done for you. And then what I want you to do in recognition of the whole is give me a part of it. Just, that's it. Just give me a tenth. Just to recognize the fact that it all came from me. To remember who it is that's providing for you. Now, this is actually one of the first blessings. It's good to, to remember what God is doing for you. How easily do we forget? <laughs> How easily do we forget that all that food in the fridge, all that gas in the tank, all those cars in the driveway, all those kids, that wife, that, everything in your whole house, everything in your hands, everything in your closet, everything in and around your yard, all of it is the Lord's. And we remember this on a monthly basis so that we can, we can honor and respect him and have this moment where it's, a, it's almost like a conversation between God and you. Tithing is also about promise, what God promises to do with what you tithe in your life and the life of your community. Tithing is about a relationship. It's about drawing close to God in faith. The most important good that results from obedience is that God uses it to shape and mold you into his image. This is what I'm saying. The more you obey God by not looking at a, at, at a skimpily clad woman, say, in a, at the mall, you're walking to the mall, the more you turn your head away from that towards your actual wife as the standard of beauty, God is actually making you more like him. This is what I'm talking about. The more you obey the word of God, the more it, you end up becoming like him, like the God who commanded you. And tithing is the same way. The, the, when you see his generosity and you recognize it as generosity, you're going to be a more generous person. That's how it works. Now, there are different commands. And, and what we don't always realize is that the, the commands actually really do have a real-world effect. There's, they have an effect on the way we live our lives. The most important good that results from obedience is that God uses it to shape and to mold us. There are other tangible benefits to obeying God's commands. Think about some of these. God doesn't say, do this because I said so. God commands... His commands are good for you in practical ways. Keeping the Sabbath, a weekly day of rest, is good for you. It's good for your body. It's good for your overall health. And, and think about uh, tithing and the Sabbath in, in similar veins. Once a week, you have to stop your normal work, and, and you go to church, and you do other things. You, have, you show hospitality to people. You have to get in the car, right? It still requires you doing things. But once a week, God wants you to stop and remember that you weren't made for this world, that you're just traveling through that you have another home, that you have other people. Uh, the, the, you know, you, all week you're living amongst your neighbors, all week you're in your workplace, and, and right, you're hopefully not, but you probably are watching the news. And what happens as the week goes is that by the end of the week, what you need is to go back to the house of the Lord and remember what it's all about. I, I, by Tuesday, when they're talking, you know, the... <laughs> Right? All I wanted to do was go pick a fight with somebody over masks. I was like, please. I was like, I'm going to stop at every conceivable store I can think of in Snohomish County just to get somebody to tell me to put the stupid thing on. And then I was extremely let down because nobody did. And I thought, you know, this is what, look at what they're doing to us. Like, they've, they've got us all tied to nuts about this thing. And, and like, that, this is just the big E on the eye chart at the moment. Right? What you need on a weekly basis is to come into the house of the Lord, to sing songs together and pray together and hear the word preached and hear it proclaimed so that you can remember where you're coming from and where you're going. Tithing is the same way. You have to stop occasionally, add up what you've been given, see how generous the Lord is, 
And, and, and all of those things have real blessings. It's, just because you benefit from obeying God's word does not make it works righteousness. Right? You're like, well, I don't want to obey just because I get something out of it, quickly becomes an argument. It's not, an, it's not a good one. God wants you to do these things. It's really, if you study the history of medical science, um, there's a period of history I like a lot, and the, and the medical science in the 17th and 18th century was abysmal, right? And nothing like leeching people. What, what I find is in this age of reason, the age of science, um, if they simply would have read Leviticus, they would have learned a great deal about how to care for people. And it basically starts with washing things, right? If you go and you read Leviticus, you're like, man, you should really wash stuff a lot. And when, when clean things touch unclean things, it's not simply about some sort of weirdness that God has. It's actually good for you. Uh, and, and that's what I find fascinating about the Word of God. People think it's merely ceremonial. But if you actually follow some of the things in Leviticus, you're going to be a healthier person, right? I mean, as soon as God hit, what do they all want us to do? Obey the Leviticus 3.7, I think it is. Wash your hands. There are real benefits. Sometimes God makes it explicit. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 12, he says, Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord is giving you. Okay, he's not just saying obey your father and mother. He's saying do it so that your duration in the land that the Lord is giving you is long and prosperous. So you can see, when God gives us commands, it's not simply to watch us, right? He doesn't just say hop up and down on one leg. He gives us things to do that are actually good for us. Now, how often does tithing feel good for you? Now, I tithe every month. I'll say it doesn't always feel super good, okay? Because it's still, it's, it's a real thing. You're looking at how much you have. You know how much is going out. And you're thinking, this does not feel like it's good for me. But isn't that how he always works? Isn't that how he always works? Now, God has commanded us to tithe. In Deuteronomy 14.22, it says, you shall, all, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year. Leviticus 27.30, every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees, is the Lord's. It is holy to the Lord. Proverbs 3.9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with firstfruits of all your produce. And in Malachi, what he actually gives us is the promises that attend it. Now, in the, in the beginning when he gave the law, he said, do all these things and I will bless you. So there was a blessing inherent in, in the commands originally. But what, what ends up happening by the time you get to Malachi is that everybody has disconnected the blessings from the command. They've all forgotten why they're supposed to tithe. And all kinds of terrible things are happening to them. And it's really funny because God doesn't just come and be like generally repent. He, he addresses a specific sin. In Malachi, he tells them, these, you're depriving yourself of blessing. You're depriving yourselves of promise because you will not honor me with the first fruits of what you have gained. This is what it says in Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse. There may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. You come and you give to me a tenth, and I will give you everything that you could possibly imagine that you need. You come and you give me a tenth, and what I'll do is I'll open the heavens, and I'll rain down upon you grace upon grace, sunshine, food, drink, family, laughter, joy, Right? And all he wants is 10%. That's it. Now, isn't that, isn't that, an, an, isn't that the gospel? Right? You give, me, you give me one pathetic sinner, and I'll give you the cosmos. You, you bring your sad little self in here, your sad little self, and throw yourself down on my throne, and watch all of the things that I give you in return. 
And so every time you're tithing, you're declaring the gospel of Jesus Christ to yourself. Wait, I get, I, I'm going to read Malachi. I'm gonna, I go in with this little paper check from BECU, and I put it in this box with a slot, and he's going to open heaven and pour down blessing upon me? Is that really how it works? Well, we've read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and yes, that is actually how it works. It's how it all works. It's how the whole thing works. And so when you're talking about tithing, like everything in the Bible, you're talking about the gospel. That's what this conversation is about, right? It reveals so much about us that we make it about something else, about personal preference, about our inability to do spiritual math, right? Because all we can do is physical math. And most of us are really bad at that. I can hardly do physical math. When it comes to spiritual math, I find out I'm a real novice. Right? I, give the, I give you one wretched sinner, and you, and you make me something that if, if my friends saw it now, they would want to worship it in the end. By the time I'm glorified in heaven, that's really the exchange. Now, I want to be careful here. <laughs> Perhaps I've already gone too far. But what I am not saying is that God is a mutual fund. Okay, you don't put your 10% in the back in the box and he guarantees a 25% return like American funds. That's not what I'm talking about. You always have to put this little asterisk by what you're saying things like this to remember that what God gives you, his blessing for you, is not the blessing that you think you need. As you tithe, God will pour blessing down on you. Now, what we call blessing and what he calls blessing is very rarely the same thing. This is why we didn't understand what Jesus was doing. How is that blessing? We say in our flesh. And he's like, well, let me show you. Let me show you how all this death and blood and destruction and abandonment on my behalf, all that God turning his back on me, darkness and earthquakes, earth-shattering realities here and everyone's looking at it and they're terrified and they run away and you think how can any good come out of that right and 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 you just multiply that into every area of our lives we think this is going to be the blessing and he does this over here and we think whoa 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 wait what what is but this isn't what i wanted this isn't what i was hoping for right i what does the guy say who goes into church you have the, the guy in the back who's weeping, who can't even lift his eyes, and you got the, the Pharisee down in front. What's one of the things that he holds on to is, is his sign of righteousness. Well, I tithe. I tithe. What we have to understand is that it's, it's not a guarantee. He thinks it's a guarantee of something that God didn't guarantee. There are real promises attached to it, though, and especially what I find with Reformed people conservative Christians, is we don't like this idea that if we say we give something to God, he gives us something in return. Right? Am I going to tell everyone now to get out of their wallet and start preaching at it like those health and wealth ministers do? Which is actually a thing. I watched a video. It's crazy. They actually talk to their wallet, like commanding God to put money in it. I could hardly believe it. I was like, this is crazy. And that's not what I'm doing now. But what we have to understand is that God actually promises things for our obedience. He really does. And, and the problem with most of it is, is when we are obedient and then he blesses us, we don't recognize the blessings for what they are. My favorite one is Naomi. Now, Naomi gets married. Naomi, during a famine, gets hauled to Moab. Her sons marry Moabites. Everybody dies except Naomi and one of the Moabite young ladies. 
and then they get to return as a bunch of nobodies to the land where she is from. Now, God in heaven is like, man, this is going so well. This is going perfectly. I've got everyone right where I want them. How does Naomi feel, though? Naomi says, call me bitterness now, because what do I have to live for? And God in heaven's like, yeah, go, go, Naomi, do it. And, and this is how our, our life often works. We're sitting down here going, what happened to God? And God's up in heaven going, yes, more, do it. <laughs> Everyone's heading exactly where I want you. This is what this whole sermon is about. God promises to bless us when we are obedient. When we give to him, he gives us far more than we can possibly imagine. Now, what I want to do is now articulate those blessings specifically as we find them in Malachi. This is the first thing that God promises, filling the house of the Lord. Malachi 3.10, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test as the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Simply put, my tenth is not very much. It never has been. Frankly, neither is most of yours. I know this because I see it, <laughs> right? If you look at all the little in- individual tenths, you, it's laughable how small it is. You see it, and you're like, what is this? This is nothing. But then what happens when you add it all together? Now, I don't think most people, I, we had a meeting a couple months ago, but most people don't know this. We've averaged over four years $157,000 in tithes a year. Now, how did we get there? How did that storehouse get that full? Well, because the people who brought a tiny amount brought it in, and everyone adds it together, and this is how God works. You take small nothings, and you put it together, and you get a big something. We fill the Lord's storehouse. We do it. We can do it when we work together. When we're just looking at the little bit that we, th- we see and we think it's not much, it's not much to withhold it, it's not a big deal, it doesn't really matter. But when you add it all together, everybody's tenth, it, 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 what it amounts to is a great deal. Think of it this way. Think of getting invited over to dinner. It's really funny because you invite three or four families over to dinner and you see this haunted look in the mom's eyes, the lady's eyes the wife's eyes. You're like, well, how many people is it going to be? How much side dish do I have to make? Right? Uh, Like, imagine a side dish for 30 people. That's a lot of cooking. But, right? Now, imagine my poor wife. I go to her and I'm like, hey, we're having 30 people over, so get started. It's going to be next week. You have just about enough time. But that's not how it works, right? No, we say, hey, we're going to make burgers, so uh, so so-and-so bring a side dish, and -and so-and-so bring an appetizer, and -and so-and-so bring some chips, and -and so-and-so bring this and that, so-and-so bring some ice cream. And everybody brings their little bit, right? Imagine if somebody came over to you and just gave you a a side dish of potato salad. That is not a meal. But if you add potato salad next to a cheeseburger, now we're talking, right? Now we're getting somewhere. Now you add to that some cake at the end, bing bong, here we go. This is how tithing works. You bring your potato salad, I bring my cheeseburger, and together we have a meal. That's what he's doing. This is what God intends with our tithe. If if you read in Deuteronomy 14, 28 through 29, it says, At the end of every three years, you shall bring out all of the tithe of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner and the fatherless and the widow who are within your towns shall come and eat and be filled. The Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. So everybody brings their little bit, 
And together we have enough for the Levites, we have enough for the fatherless, we have enough for the widow. Here, the tithe provides first for the Levite, or in our case, the pastor. No awkwardness possible, I'm sure. It also provides for the widow and the orphan. I just simply want to point out, as one commentator did, that he puts orphans, Levites, and widows on the same financial footing. (laughs) I thought that was kind of funny. In Ephesians 4, we are told that God provides pastors and teachers to equip the body for the work of ministry so, he can, so it can build itself up in love. So what we see is that when God takes everybody's little bit and we add it up together, what we're now going to look at is all the things that the church together gets to give away. Now that we've collected everyone's 10%, we're now going to see all the things that it can spend it on. The first thing is, is equipping the Levite. And in Israel's day, the Levite had no inheritance. They were not given land. They were not given cities. They lived at the table of the Lord. This is why they don't have a representative above them, tribal representative. This is why they're like the widows. This is why they're like the fatherless. They are dependent upon the generosity and obedience of others. The pastor's ministry is to invest his spiritual wealth, his studying and writing, exhorting, counseling, attending sick beds, visiting orphans, widows, praying, teaching, preaching, all of these things. What you guys are doing is providing for him financially so that he can then invest all of his spiritual wealth in back into the community. And it's this circle. You guys invest in him, he invests in you, and the whole thing just keeps going and keeps going and keeps going. And it reaches beyond the four walls. The tithes provide for ministers who labor in word and deed, who give up access to the market. This is another reason why they're, not, they're like the Levites. Uh, in my previous job, I could work overtime. In my previous job, I could work for, a, for personal advancement, right? I've worked in, in sales jobs where I actually got, at, at the end of the year, a percentage of how much I brought in for the company. I, right? So ministers give up all of that. They, they don't make money like normal people. Everything they have is because people give it to them, right? The church has a budget which limits the amount of money that a minister can make, and nothing can change that. There's nothing he can do to change that amount. It is what it is. Now, you know, you can have a 30% increase in the size of the church, right? But ministers, it's not like they work out a deal where if you grow the church by 30%, you get a 30% increase. Imagine how awful that would be. Uh, I'm pretty sure I've heard of a church that did that, and that's why they grew so fast, <laughs> right? They just get butts in the seats, and the more people, you count them up, and I get that much money. And that, that's how a salesman works, right? The more widgets he sells, the more money he gets. So th- there is a reality to this. And, and, and as churches grow and they have more resources, they can diversify. You can hire a secretary. You can have an intern. You can do these things. And you actually, as the summer has proven, get more done because you can afford more people. This is a glorious and beautiful thing. Now, Ministers live off of the generosity and obedience of others. The whole organization of Redeemer exists this way. Redeemer exists because of the generosity and obedience of others. You take away generosity and you take away obedience and what have you. We're all looking for a new home, home church. Now, beyond this, the tithe provides for the fatherless and the widow. Now, I want, want to make a comment here because try as I might, helping the fatherless and the widow is actually harder than it sounds especially when you live in modern America with a nanny state, because the nanny state takes care of widows and the fatherless, and it's pretty hard to intervene 
<laughs> in the foster care system without actually being like a foster care parent yourself. So, I, But I just want to argue a general principle beyond this. It's not as if in the New Testament we shouldn't care about the fatherless and the widow. But what you had in Israel is that if you had no father and you had no husband, you were a marginalized person. You had no representation in the community. This is why Ruth and, and Naomi have so much trouble when they go back to Israel. They don't have any representative. There's someone speaking on their behalf. They have no protection. And so really what we have, how we have to apply this is who in our day has no voice in society? Who is marginalized? Who is defenseless? Who has no one to provide for them? Who has no one to protect, protect them? And that is what we call mercy ministries. Mercy ministries are to give mercy to people who need it. Okay, it's not like the nanny state who just, you fill out an application and there's basic requirements and will pay you not to work. It's not that kind of nonsense. Mercy ministries is you hear the person's story, you hear if they actually need help, and then you decide to help them or not. I've gotten to be quite an old hand at this now. It's amazing how many people wander in here off the street um, who all just need five gallons of gas. <laughs> it's a lot of people. You're like, well, how, you know, what, where did you get the Nikes? Anyway, um, you have to learn how to discern these different things. What I found is really easy is you uh, keep Wendy's gift cards around, and you can satisfy a great number of people, and word spreads it's a great place, Redeemer, to go and get lunch. What we have done here is we have something called Redemption Road, which is a fund that we use to, to pay for things like this, Mercy Ministries. And we work with something called Cops and Clergy. Many of you have already heard of this. There's a program at Linwood Police Department. They have community police officers. They are out there screening. They know the difference between somebody who's looking to, to get a hit versus somebody who would like to stop taking hits and get off the streets. And they have 1,000 people that they're helping just in Linwood. They, they have a board, and there's 1,000 people on it. They know by name. They know by need. And so through these people, last year, we were able to, to provide all kinds of things. When people who live in their car go to rehab, they park their cars here because they need somewhere safe to put them. And the police come around and check on them. We gave bicycles to homeless people last year. We were able to feed volunteers at a quarantine site. And, and what I have found through this whole process is how amazing how many of the people have been Christians. Like, so many of the cops and the cops in the country thing are Christians. This is why they had the idea. And, and like, they are working. You're, you're not just supporting some generic city government program. You're participating with Christians in ministry in a larger sense than just your own church. And who paid for all of that? Like, I thought it several times. I'm standing there, and I'm swiping my card at Wendy's to buy some unfortunate individual some food. I go, and I get a bicycle, and I'm delivering it. And I'm thinking of all of you guys the whole time because I, don't ha I can't do that. I don't, I don't have a storehouse of bicycles. <laughs> I'm able to, right? How many of you guys could leave your job in the middle of the day, go on some Facebook offer, pick up bicycles, and go deliver them to the police department? Now, what this shows us is, one, you've provided for a person who can do this on a regular basis. Also, you've given him the means to do it. And, and I, I don't think most of you understand that's exactly what your tithes go to. Right? Maybe you think it's just me going to Costco and buying things for my family. There is that involved. <laughs> Don't get me wrong. We go to Costco. <laughs> but I also take other people to Costco who can't afford to buy things. And, and I found out through, uh, by them. They've been screened by the police department. And, and then we go. Um, there was a young lady a few years ago who we remember who we, for six months, provided all kinds of things. And she got through rehab, into halfway housing, and is out now... Uh, um, a happy and cheerful, she's back at church, she's a successful part of society. And, and we helped her do that. 
this is why you fill the storehouse, because when you have money in the storehouse, you can do these things. Now, without the tithe, the local church doesn't survive. It has nothing to offer. Right? If we came here on Sunday and there was no tithes, what would we have to offer you? Somebody came and knocked on the door and they're hungry and they need five gallons of gas. We'd have nothing to offer unless people tithe. This is our tithe, hard at work. I'm going to add another thing. You know, there is a hapless, ragtag bunch of island of misfit toy sort of Christians up in Skagit County. I love them all. But they had not had a solid church, none of them, for years. They came to us here at Redeemer, and they wanted a church. And now who provided them for that? Now, how many of you guys can go up to Skagit County twice a week, meeting with families, ministering to them, instructing them in how to form a church, forming the church, leading the worship? How many of you guys could leave your job in the middle of the day and do that? No, but what did you do? You provided for a person who could and had the resources to do it. You guys have planted a church in Skagit County. Now, they're self-sufficient at this moment, but they got there because of the generosity of the people sitting in this room. And, and I, we don't think about that. We sit down, and we, all, we look at our budgets, we look at our groceries, we look at our needs, and we make decisions about tithing based on that. Now, but I don't want you to think about it that way, because that's not how it works. When you're deciding to do it or not do it, think. There's some <laughs> ragtag bunch of people up in Skagit County, maybe. Or maybe there's some people in Island County. Maybe there's some guy living in the park across the street right now who next week all he's going to need is somebody to, to help him. And that's going to make all the difference. And you write that check or not write that check at that moment. Right? That's how I want you to think about it. Who has done all of the things that this church has done? During COVID, we were not shut down. Why? Because we had our own building that we could pay for. And I don't know how many times people bemoan the fact that so many churches gather all these size money so they can pay for a building. Woo-hoo-hoo, a building. Well, do you know how many churches had no building? Right? It's, it's amazing that you don't know what you have until you need it. Right? Wow, my leg stopped working. I never really gave God thanks for my leg until now. So now, I think, some of us who would have been more on the side of like, is really rent really a thing a church would be spending money on? Is that really what Jesus would have done? Well, wouldn't it have been? He built an ark in a desert, didn't he? What, what, isn't he, right? He built a temple. He built a tabernacle. He, he, he builds buildings so that people can use them to worship him. This is a thing he does, Correct. You provide for the place that you're sitting in. You provide for all the things that we're doing while we're here. You provide for all the things that we're doing when we're not here. That is a great blessing to all of you. You're participating in the building of the Lord's kingdom. Now, the other thing that the Lord promises to do is to increase your increase. Right? The amount that you're taking in, he's going to increase it if you are regularly recognizing the fact that it's all from him. This is what it says in Malachi 3.10. Again, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and there, thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, I, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Your increase is in the hands of the Lord. It's not up to chance. God controls the production of wheat fields, the rise and fall of the Dow on Wall Street. He controls the factors that work in orchards and salmon runs and housing prices. Doesn't he? He does, right? I mean, we like the idea. We have lots of theology books that tell us he is, in fact, the sovereign of all of the universe. But then why is it that we stress out about the Tao, 
about housing markets, about what the Federal Reserve is going to do. You know what I, I, I mean, I hate the Federal Reserve. I just want to say that out front. But they're not operating in a world where we're outside of God's control. That doesn't justify what they're doing. But why is it that we're so afraid of these boogeymen behind the curtain, where behind the curtain of the heavens is the one actually in charge of everything? <laughs> right? There is no man behind a curtain bigger than God. There is no man conspiring against forces of evil, right? as much as you may conspire. No one is out conspiring God. The Federal Reserve, like Rome, right? like the empire of um, the Syrio-Phoenicians, will one day be in the dustbin. What God has promised to do is to increase your increase. This is what he does. This is what the Bible teaches. He sustains you, and he builds on what you're doing. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6 through 7. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God gives the growth. Psalm 50, verse 10 through 11. The Lord says, For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle of a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. Acts 17, 25 and verse 28. He himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. It says, For in him we live and move and have our being. Every breath we breathe is a gift from God. Every bite of food we eat is given to us from his hand. Every day we live is determined by him. He has not left us to our own devices. He has not left us to our own whims. He has not left us to the um, nature of malicious actors in this world. He constantly sustains. He constantly provides. He's constantly caring for every one of us. Now, in Malachi, Israel isn't responding to this generosity. Um, it, It is responding to this generosity, itself by being ungenerous. They see all that God is doing, and their response to it is a lack of generosity. In Malachi 3.8, it says that God, is, God says Israel is robbing him. Now, did you ever think, right? Nobody knows that you don't tithe. Nobody knows. Right? I, I mean, there may be some people, but as I've noted before, in this church, we don't talk about tithing, so you may not tithe here for years, and we're most likely not going to say anything to you. But did you ever think about the fact you're robbing God? Now, I mean, I know how we all feel about crime and defunding the police. But when you're not tithing, you're walking up to the window of God's car, and you're banging on it with your gun, and you're telling him to get out, and you're stealing his car. You're taking what's his. You're holding up God like an armed robber. Now, wow, I've never thought about it that way, have you? And the Lord God says, you're robbing me. God gives himself as the reason for Israel's small crops. They, they, right? If they're tempted to think, well, I don't have more to give because of bugs. I don't have more to give because of the, the fire. I don't have more to give because of the IRS. I would give more, but the IRS has taken everything. And God is saying to him, essentially, who do you think sent the IRS? Who do, you, who do you think allowed the Federal Reserve to be created? Who is in charge of interest rates? Right? We think, man, right? I've, I, two days ago, standing at Costco, filling my car with gas, thinking of all the conceivable curses I can for Biden. And you know what I thought all of a sudden? 
It's like God raised these prices. Why? Right? This new tax everybody is freaking out about in, in the state of Washington. We all have to pay for long-term care. Apparently, it only amounts to $36,000. Having worked for Steve at Fire Pension, $36,000 is going to go nowhere fast. But everybody's freaking out about this. And who, what, why is it that it's happened to us? Right? When God squeezes our wallet like he squeezes our freedom, is it perhaps because he's trying to get our attention? God says, you're robbing me. And so what he does, now what he's going to do is he's going to, slowly, he's going to let less and less slip through his fingers for you. And you think, why? I'm, more and more is being devoured. And you, and you want to look here and you want to look there for who and what to blame. And, and the, re, the, the reason it's happening, the person to blame, is God. Now, why would he do this? If you're being disobedient with what he's giving you, the Lord God is gracious enough to stop giving you things. If you're gonna, if he, if you're gonna go to Costco and you're gonna fill your your cart with food, and you're gonna go home and you're not gonna thank him for it, and you're gonna be wasteful with it, do you think he's going to keep filling your cart? Well, no, because he loves you enough to not continue allowing you to have enough to be disobedient with. So there, are, some people end up on the street as a great grace to them. When your wallet is being squeezed, it's him who's doing the squeezing. Israel's failure to tithe is the reason God is withholding rain. It's the reason he's allowing the devourer to eat their crops. The curse is his way of getting their attention. The drought and pestilence aren't the result of Israel's disobedience, not a reasonable cause. I'm sorry. The drought and pestilence are the result of Israel's disobedience, not a reasonable cause for that disobedience. You can't say, well, you know, the devourer, I mean, come on, gas has gone up by so much, I can't possibly tithe now. And God is saying, listen, who did it? (laughs) Don't put the cart before the horse. Now, this is what I want to say here. Just God says, tithe, and I'll open the rain clouds. God says, tithe, and I'll rebuke the pestilence devouring Israel's increase. If every professing American who called themselves a Christian tithed, would we need a nanny state? You know why we have a nanny state? Because the church got out of the business of helping people. If every, um, if every American who calls themselves a Christian took their kids out of the government schools, they would utterly collapse. If we rendered to Caesar his proper due and to God his proper due, we would have less Caesar and more God. So as you're looking for someone to blame this week for all of the things that Caesar is doing, blame yourself. You've rendered too much unto him, and he's gotten very big and very difficult to deal with. And you've rendered to God too little. You've not rendered to him his due, and you have too little of him in society. Now, if we, if we got this correct now, if we rendered unto the Lord what is actually the Lord's, and we rendered unto Caesar what actually was Caesar's, we would have more God and less Caesar. Has anyone thought of that plan? I know we've talked about ARs. I know we've talked about buying silver. I know we've talked about lots of strategies to outmaneuver the government. But has anyone ever, like, how about we just render to them what is actually their due and render to the Lord what's actually his due? Now, I know everybody wants me to tell you what those things are, and I'm not going to. Go and find out what that means. But if you want to know who to blame, blame yourselves. 
and stop, right, stop blaming Democrats. That it's easier to just blame Congress, who's hungry, like a hungry hippo. You know, they're playing this game where it's just like trying to eat all the little beads. You're sitting there hammering on the lever, and you want to blame the game itself. Now, this is the hope, right? This is, I love it. This is always why it's about gospel. Every single time, no matter what we're talking about, no matter what we're talking about. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Return to me, and I will return to you. Return. And when you return, what you'll have found is that I've already returned to you. Acknowledge that the Lord, what the Lord is doing. Render under God what is God's, and God will open the heavens and rebuke the devourer. God will increase the increase to staggering levels. God gives the increase and measures it out in portions that we can handle. The one who is faithful and little, little will receive greater and greater amounts of blessing. How, how often did Jesus say that? If I'm going to give you $5 and you're wise with it, you know what I'm going to do next is give you $5,000. And we all think, whoa, 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 come on. Works righteousness? What are you even talking about? Right? It's just all grace all the time. Nothing is required of me. But if you're unfaithful with little, he's not going to give you more. If you're faithful with a little, he'll give you more. Now, is it always going to look exactly like, right? It's not going to look like a mutual fund. Right? Because somebody would be like, well, hey, I had one kid, and I'm really faithful to that kid, and we can't have any more kids. So what are you talking about? Right? And th- these are the reasons that our ears go quiet. Right? I'm faithful at work, and, 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 and if I'm faithful at work, what Mike is saying is that I will be promoted, and Yahoo after Yahoo keeps, keeps getting promoted above me. What is the Lord doing with this? The increase does not always look like what we think it's supposed to look like. I'm doing pre-marriage counseling now, and over the years what we've done is we've changed the one class we do on um, children in marriage to fruitfulness in marriage. Do Do you know why? Because I've learned a great deal about the fact that fruitfulness, as much as we conservative people want to make it about having 50 children, it's not actually what Jesus and God means by fruitfulness. It can be. But there are people where that's not what it means. Now, are you, right, if you wanted more kids, that's, right, I was faithful with little, give me more. Well, what if the more he's giving you is something different entirely? What if the more he's giving you is the fact that there are these people where you're working, and if he gave you a promotion, you wouldn't be working with them anymore? What if you're there, and you're like, man, please, give me more. Give me more than this. And you're being very faithful in everything you're doing. And God is like, I'm giving you more time and more time with these people and more time with these people because what they need is for you to be a witness with them. And this is what I'm talking about. We think we know what he's doing, and we don't. We don't. And so we make decisions about what we're going to do and what we're not going to do based on what we think he owes us or doesn't. And it causes us to be what? Anxious, fretful, joyless, accusatory, envious, jealous. It causes all these things in our hearts. And, and because what we want is what we want, not what he's giving us. And all of this is represented in that act every month where you write something on a piece of paper and you put it in a little box. Now, we're talking more about mere tithing now, aren't we? Because when we're talking about obeying God, that's always what we're talking about, is more. 
than merely what it looks like. If you looked around your life, is there fruitfulness other than what the fruitfulness is you want to have? Is there an effect you're having on people greater than the one that you think you want? Right? Look around your life. Do you even recognize what God is doing in it as you're living it? Can you look around the room and see what he's doing in everybody else's life that you're a part of? Right? We think, well, that person's life has nothing to do with me. It's none of my business. I, I kind of wish they were somewhat more introverted, like I'm introverted, because <laughs> I have enough burdens myself. I'm very burdened. I don't, everybody else seems very burdened. I don't want to deal with it. I don't want to create any kind of conflict. I don't want to burden them at all. And, and what we end up doing is looking to heaven and looking to heaven and looking to heaven. And, and what, we, what, what God wants us to do is look to heaven and then look around. And you look to heaven and you look around. And you look to heaven... <laughs> And then you look around. You open the word of God, right? And you exegete it. And then you get to know people, and you exegete them. You look at everything that he's given you, and then you look to him, and you give some back. You, you come here, and right, everyone is facing up towards the front. And then what he wants you to do is look around. Who are you? Who is he? Who are the people sitting with you? What is going on in your life and their life? What is God doing? What is he not doing that you, right? say it, what is he not doing that you think he ought to be? Now, what is he doing that you've not, not been recognizing? Because we automatically think, I, okay, I will agree to these terms. I will give you, Lord, what you are calling me to give you as long as you return to me exactly what I think I deserve. And that's the deal we're all making all the time. But what the Lord wants is this, for you to give to him. And then he says, I'm going to pour out upon you blessing upon blessing, grace upon grace. I'm going to overflow you. And what I need you to do is to learn how to recognize it, what it actually is from here. This teaches it to you. Too often we sit and we wonder where, you know, I just, if I could get a word from the Lord, if you would just come. Some fashion, right? You set your coffee on top of the Bible there at your armchair. We are looking for a return on our investment in very particular modern American terms. And what the Lord says is, trust me. What the Lord says is, I know what's best for you. What the Lord says is, if you want a crown, here's the cross. If you want me, die to yourself. He's always putting these things, these obstacles in our way that require us to deal with ourselves. You've got to deal with yourself. And unless you do that, he gets harder and harder and more mysterious. The more you put yourself to death, the more him you get. The more you trust him, the more you get. The more you read his word, understand him, understand his ways that are not your ways, they are not your ways, the more of him you get. And and this is why Paul gets so frustrated with the New Testament church. It's like, listen, guys, like, I've been up into heaven. I know people have been up in the heavens. It's unbelievable what I could tell you, but I I can't tell you all that stuff yet because what I got to do is return to the basics. All of you have more wealth than I can even describe to you. 
And all God says is get, write, write a check for 10% and put it in the box. And we can't do it. Our mouth is full of answers. And then we wonder why coach won't put us in the big game to hit the homer. Right? I mean, I got a, I got a right foot like Beckham over here, and I could kick a goal and score and win this game right now. What's wrong? Why don't we have more say in the government? Why don't we have more say in what's going on in Snohomish County? Why don't I have more say at the session meetings? Why doesn't this church do this or that and the other thing? Why doesn't that family do this, that, or the other thing? And we want more, and we want more influence, and we want a return on an investment that we're not making. And if we were investing the way God said to invest, and we opened our eyes to see the kingdom he's building in his way, what we would see is that there is a great deal of blessing going on all the time. I'm not even, <laughs> the process at this point isn't like, hey, start investing, and then you'll see something at some point. Do what God commands you to do, and, it, and ask him to change what you're seeing with your eyes. And what you will see is there is blessing flowing out of every molecule of this universe, out of every person sitting in this room, out of everything that is going on in this world, in this country, in this county, in this town, where you live right now. We're all waiting for something bigger, something better, something more. If I could only live there, if I could only get this job, if I could only have this, that, or the other thing. And what we're not even recognizing, as we would if we sat down and had to accumulate our increase to see what it was, we would recognize what God is already doing. Why are you depriving yourself of that blessing? Why are you depriving yourself of this blessing? If we return to him, he will return to us. And, and, and like I said earlier, this is what he says, Malachi 3.11, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soil and your vine in the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Return to him and he will return to you. Render unto the Lord what is the Lord's and what you will find is that everything else will go into its proper place. God so loved the world he gave what did he give? God so loved the world he gave. That's what he did. He loved the world. Does it say, he, who's the world? <laughs> I'm not going to tell you. <laughs> Go and find out what that means. He gave. What did he give? Romans 8.32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? How will he not also, with Christ, give us all things? Now, most of us hear that verse and we're like, Matt, give us all things. I like that. I like that end. God has a real spicy way of saying things. I love it. He gave us Jesus, and then he's going to give us everything. But he says, give it with him. Who's the him? Now, if you got salvation with Christ, are you going to get anything else with Christ? With, I'm sorry, are you going to get anything else without Christ? If what you have is salvation with Christ, are you going to get anything else without Christ? It, do you want to do more for the kingdom of God? Do you want big things to be faithful in? Well, what you need to do is return to the simple things, the basic things, the small things. Who is God and what is he doing for you? Who is God and what is he commanding you to do? Are you being obedient to that? 
How is he already blessing you? What is he already giving you that you're not thanking him for, that you're not being grateful for, that you're not recognizing him? This is God, right? Romans 1, it says, they were darkened in their hearts. Why? Because they did not honor God and they did not recognize him as the Lord. And, and, and this is the test. Do you, do you do it or not? There's lots of ways to test it. But if you don't sit down and add up your increase and write a tiny amount to him, that's a very simple test. Is he who he says he is? Are you obeying him like he says? What's the relationship you have with him exactly? Stress? Are you stressed? Is he taking care of you or not? This is increasingly what I love about every aspect of being a Christian. When you, right, when you talk about anything, you're talking about the gospel. If you're talking about anything, you're talking about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. When you're talking about anything, you're talking about the people of God and who and what they are and what they're doing together. Now, what has he commanded of you? Does he have the right to command it of you? Is it about merely obeying him like some stern, angry father? Return to him. Render unto him what is his. And, and you know what you will find? Because I'm watching from the cheap seats over here. You're not going to find that he's going to return to you. You're going to find that he never left you. That's my testimony to you. Now let's go from here. And let's render unto the Lord what is his. Let us love one another as he has loved us. And let us overflow with generosity and grace as it is overflown to us. Amen. Father, we thank you so much for your word and for Malachi and his... Um, his gospel. And I pray, Lord God, that we would go from here, that we would be renewed in heart and mind, that we would be obedient in the little things, that we would see your grace and your goodness all around us and in everything. Lord God, that we would render unto you the thanks due your name, that we would praise you, that we would love one another as we've been loved, and that we would be healthy church members. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.